Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. If instead Putin doubles down, then so shall we, further ratcheting up economic pressure and supporting Ukraine with finance. Sanctions have to be as powerful as they can possibly be. We will be pushing the government to go further and faster. We could have a massive miscalculation and we will then be in a full-scale war across the globe. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. Good afternoon, I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up on today's programme, as inflation hits another 40-year high ahead of tomorrow's by-elections, we'll talk to Labour MP and Shadow Climate Change Minister Olivia Blake. And criminal barristers are set to join the wave of strikes in the UK from next week. We'll speak to one QC about why he is walking out. But first, Boris Johnson appears in Prime Minister's questions later at the centre of a Westminster hurricane. But how far does that swirl of politics match up to reality outside of the Westminster bubble? Three things those in the know are worried about today. Inflation coming in at the highest level in 40 years. Here's Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab this morning, concerned about the cost of living crisis. If you look at the UK figures, they're broadly comparable to the US or in Europe, the Dutch and the Belgians, and it's going to be difficult. And we really do understand the pressure those on low incomes are facing at the moment. They're struggling to make ends meet. Rob's day doesn't finish there either. Later, he's set to introduce a bill to allow courts to ignore rulings from the European Court of Human Rights. That includes the one last week that prevented Britain from deporting immigrants to Rwanda. And talks between the RMT union and train companies are restarting ahead of more strikes on Thursday. So far, polling has been mixed with a Savannah Comrades survey saying nearly 60% of voters think that rail strikes are justified. Labour's Shadow Culture Secretary Lucy Powell agrees. I don't think they're being militant. They are exercising their right to take industrial action when negotiations with their employer and and with the government that oversees those employers have broken down and have failed. Well, the condemnation didn't stop at Labour. Lib Dem MP Sarah only accused Transport Secretary Grant Shapps of playing politics with the unions. And if that wasn't enough, teachers and postal workers have warned they too are to hold votes on strike action. But ultimately, MPs will be wondering, do the public care? Tomorrow we'll find out when voters go to the polls in Tiverton and Honiton and Wakefield. Well, let's discuss today's big issues with our guest, Olivia Blake, Labour MP for Sheffield Hallam and Shadow Minister for Climate Change. Olivia, thanks so much for joining us uh, on Bloomberg Westminster. Now, first up, let's talk about those uh, inflation figures. Inflation coming in at 9.1% in the year to May. Uh, the cost of living crisis uh, worsening by the month. What would Labour do that the government isn't doing at the moment? Well, I think, you know, these numbers are incredibly concerning given the cost of living crisis that we're living through. And we've seen a huge amount of pressure on family budgets and individual budgets um, for for months now. And we've, we've been calling on the government to bring in an emergency cost of living budget to to really address these issues and make sure that we're taking these seriously. We were calling for a windfall tax, which the government has kind of semi-adopted now, um, but it's it's really been quite 
difficult and like pulling teeth to get the government to take this seriously. And instead of addressing the root cause of this and trying to understand this, they're calling for pay restraint, which, to be honest, isn't what families are wanting to hear. Um, having less money in people's pockets is not going to help them in an inflation um, an inflation crisis, which is kind of what we're hoping uh, the government will work hard to avoid. Well, the government's argument is that, you know, wage increases will lead to a wage price spiral. It pushes up inflation further. How would your emergency budget help people without contributing to inflation? Well, I think it's, it's very telling that, you know, earlier in the week they were talking about taking the caps off bonuses for uh, the city at the same time as they're condemning workers uh, organising to increase their pay to, to be nearer to the inflation that we're seeing. And I just think it's, it's not true. We've seen, we've seen huge profits um, from many, many businesses in the, in the last few months. Um, so the, the problem is, is that uh, there's such inequality now in the UK uh, that the ordinary working people have been stagnating wages. We have seen the worst uh, living standards um, in terms of pay for, for, for a generation. And it's, it's really about making sure that we uh, make it fairer for people so that those who are contributing to our society are getting a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. And it's as simple as that. Rail workers want to protect their standard of living. They're asking for an inflation uh, uh, pay rise matching inflation, so that just their pay would be uh, frozen in real terms. Do you support their their action on this? I, I support any um, any uh, workers who are organising to improve their uh, improve their paying conditions. And I think that you know this is set against a, a time of huge um, wage. Uh, freezes that have been going on for years and years and years. The cost of living is spiralling. Energy prices are becoming unmanageable and pushing millions of people into into uh, poverty. And actually, the numbers for destitution, which is the poorest you can really be in our society, are, are spiralling as well. So I think it is really about inequality. And, and we know that we um, really need to tackle those problems. Um, and I, I'm afraid to say that I think that the government have been missing in action um, in this dispute. Nobody wants rail strikes. They are they are disruptive. But I am fully behind workers who, who want to organise um, and make sure that they, they are getting heard. Um, I urge the Tory uh, ministers to get round the table and, and fix this. And the talks that are going on today, they should get out, get off their feet, get on their feet and get into those talks and, and get this sorted. Um, I think it's terrible that Grant Shapps, for example, during the COVID pandemic, was calling these workers heroes. And now they're being painted as, uh, you know, being greedy. And I think I think it's really unfair because actually the people who are, who are on strike today are, are trying to protect jobs. They're trying to protect safety. And they're also trying to, to get uh, pay that, that matches the cost of living crisis that we're facing. But at a time when there's so many demands on public money, you were talking about the need for an emergency budget. Can public money be used to pay for these re- these salary increases, which is ultimately what would have to happen? Is that the best use of where public money should go at this time? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure I really agree with that. And I think that, you know, we've seen the bosses of these companies earning, earning vast amounts of money and profits of these companies being, being huge and actually... My understanding is that the employers are being held back from giving an improved offer. Um, the cuts to, uh, that are being proposed by the government 
will will have huge impact on uh, sorry the jobs cuts will have huge in- impact on on safety so i think it's about you know negotiation how we get to a settled um a settlement that works for everyone and and you know they've just been missing in action they don't want to have the conversation they want it to be a political football that they can kick around rather than dealing with the consequences of their own actions they want to make it about something else and i think that that's really dangerous and clearly the public are seeing right through it and um, which you can see in the polling which is showing 60 percent of people are supportive or understanding at least of the strikes so clearly you're supportive uh, of the, the rail strike. Are you going to be at- attending a, a picket line? It's reported that Labour frontbenchers have been told to stay away from picket lines. Um, I should say that my father-in-law is on strike, so um, I, um, I, I am very supportive of him individually um, because he's a member of the RMP. And yeah, I think that it's important that we, um, we make sure that the conversations that happen today uh, really do happen and, and make make sure that people um, are getting around the table and coming up with a, um, a answer to this that is, 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 um, is workable for everyone. And I think that, you know, it's quite clear that the public are on their side and I, I fully support their efforts to, um, to, get, to get better working conditions. And I think that, you know, every, every person um, watching this would find it difficult to argue against that. But d- does that extend to you attending a picket line? Um. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's. I've attended picket lines throughout my career, and I'm I'm I'd be I'd have to go to a picket line this week in support of the RMT. I should just say that I've actually stepped down from my role as shadow climate change minister last week, um, for personal reasons. So um, I apologise that that message didn't get through to you. So I'm not actually on the front bench anymore. Uh, so I have more freedom, um, perhaps. But I I will be attending the picket lines. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about uh, a, a, another subject, actually. Of course, South Yorkshire, of course, uh, uh, an area of uh, coal mining for, for many, many years. Uh, the government says it's going to keep some coal plants running uh, this winter in order to cut down usage of gas, which, of course, is incredibly expensive. We know that's feeding through into energy bills. Do you support keeping some coal plants uh, running over the, over the winter? Um, well, you know, it's part of our security at the moment, and and they they are they are running at the moment, and I think it's important to really recognise where the government are failing to actually um, speed up our transition away from oil and gas and coal. Um, we have been calling for a green energy sprint, which would be uh, doubling and tripling of solar and onshore wind and also offshore wind. And the reason that's important is because that's the quickest way of delivering energy that we need. Um, and we know uh, from last week that the government are holding back 5.4 um, gigawatts of energy in their projects on the latest round of funding that they've been putting out. And they've capped they catch renewables in that. So the industry are, uh, are ready to go. They're shovel-ready projects. They've got planning permission to do this, and they're being held back by government. Um, and I think it's a really telling situation that they they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about um, programmes to improve houses, um, insulation, to reduce the energy need and other costs on people as well. So I think there's, there's lots of challenges in the energy policy at the moment, and we, we don't underestimate that, but we don't think the government are coming forward with the correct answers. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more. 
so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more. But ahead of those uh, two key elections, here's Ben Page, Chief Executive of Ipsos Mori, who set out for us what a loss would mean for Boris Johnson. Well, it's looking pretty tough for the Prime Minister, but he is defending some in one of these seats an enormous majority of 24,000. And so it really will be a big upset if uh, the Liberal Democrats are able to take the Tiverton constituency in the south of England. Uh, that will threaten and suggest that his position as an election-winning machine is certainly completely gone. So uh, he isn't completely out. People have come back from where the Prime Minister is in terms of public opinion to win general elections, but only Mrs. Thatcher ever did it. Uh, so we okay. will see. Having said that, his opponent, Mr. Starmer, is not particularly popular. Yeah, do people blame the government, though? I mean, aside from the sort of scandals, do, do people blame the government for the cost of living crisis, which seems most current? To be honest, I've been looking at this for central banks across the world, and in Britain, as in many other countries, people tend to think that it's caused by the war in Ukraine, uh, global supply chain problems, as much as anything specifically in their country. So they often see it as partly out of the government's control. But the longer it goes on, the more likely they are to look very hard at the government for, a, for a, some sort of solution. As you look across all the data that you see, Ben, what is your sense of just how much trouble the Prime Minister is in at this point? Well, he's he's in he's certainly in trouble, and uh, he if there was an election, he would have a much reduced majority, or, or perhaps even hand uh, uh, some sort of he'd be, be a minority government. Having said that, his opponent is not yet in the position that means that you could be guaranteed a victory. That was Ben Page, chief executive of Ipsos Murray, talking to Tom McKenzie and Carla Hepke a little bit earlier. Two by-elections are going to be fascinating, of course, uh, tomorrow. One in the red wall and one in the, in the blue wall. Really good uh, test of uh, public opinion this month. Now, railway workers have already walked out. Teachers and 115,000 postal workers are also balloting over industrial action. Criminal barristers are set to go on strike next week when they begin a series of walkouts over the rates that are paid for legal aid. Well, the action will see more trials delayed, adding to the already chronic backlog of some 60,000 cases across England and Wales. Well, let's discuss this now with Simon Spence. He's a QC at Red Lion Chambers and a member of the Criminal Bar Association. Simon, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Just set out for us why barristers are taking this action. We're taking this action because the government, uh, having commissioned a report into legal aid rates, the Bellamy Review, are dithering over whether to implement it either in part or in full. And the report itself makes it clear that there needs to be immediate action in order to prevent the ongoing increasing backlog in the cases uh, waiting to be heard in the Crown Court but more importantly, the hemorrhaging of criminal practitioners from the independent profession. Um, and particularly at the junior end, we've lost about a third of the profession because they simply cannot make ends meet at currently blade rates, which in real terms have been cut by between 25 and 30 percent over the last two decades. Um, the report is one that the Criminal Bar Association welcomed, we very much hope that the government would implement it immediately, as Sir Christopher Bellamy recommended. Um, and it's going to be at least the end of this year before we see any changes at all. 
if the government adopts the recommendations. And at the moment, they're not giving any indication as to whether they intend to do so or not. Simon, you know, you've been working to rule for months now over this issue. What's turned you to escalate at this moment? Um, we, well, when we say we worked to rule, what we did, I think what people have to realise is that a huge amount of work that we do is not, in fact, directly paid for. So a lot of the preparatory work, a lot of the written advocacy, drafting of skeleton arguments, case summaries, sentencing notes, and so forth, we do to assist the court. But we're not paid for any of that work. We're expected to do that effectively for free. Um, And what we've also done historically is covered each other's cases because we're all independent, we're all self-employed. And obviously, if we have a dying clash, we've got two cases listed on the same day, we can't do both. And our colleagues, historically, have covered our other case for us. Um, that is not something we are professionally required to do. And so when the government first started sitting on the fence on the Bellamy report, we adopted a policy of no return. Uh, so we declined to cover each other's cases when previously we'd done so. That hasn't had any impact on the government's attitude. And so now, with heavy hearts, I have to say, we have decided we've got to escalate the action which means that, as from Monday, we will be declining to take legal aid defence work, which means we'll be seeing unrepresented defendants in court, many of them charged with serious offences. And also, as you've already mentioned, there are certain specified days when, if the individual barrister considers it appropriate, depending on the nature of the case, he or she will decline to attend court to represent their client. Simon... Um, I, I know that some barristers make a, a lot of money, but but many do not. Just uh, just give us an idea of of what what t- typically barristers make. I, I know it's quite a complicated way that, you, that you're that you're paid, but what what, what yeah, are the ballpark figures for for a typical barrister? Well, first of all, there's no such thing as a typical barrister um, because it depends on how big your chambers are, how busy your practice is, and also what your overheads are. I, I although I'm in chambers in London. I live and practice predominantly out of London, uh, and so I have to travel quite a lot. Barristers in London, depending on where they live, also sometimes have quite long journeys through the capital to get to the courts. And, of course, this is against the background with a number of court buildings being closed, which has increased the amount of travel time uh, and cost required. But um, statistically... A junior barrister, somebody starting out um, after their pupilage, um, carrying as they are a great deal of student debt from their university degree and from the bar course, is probably only going to be earning something like twelve to fifteen thousand pounds a year. Um, and of course, there's a massive differential. And at my end of the profession, as a silk and, and a busy silk, uh, I'm not going to tell you what I earn, but I, I don't complain about my pay, but my concern is for the junior barristers who are coming into the profession and increasingly not coming into the profession because they look at the figures, they look at what they can earn, and they think the criminal bar is not for me. I'm, I'm um, interested you mentioned... 
Sorry, Simon, to cut across you. You mentioned the Bellamy review of criminal justice. That's £135 million more in funding. Are there good things in this review? Because it's in consultations at the moment. So I'm curious as to the sort of feedback that your profession is giving on these consultations. Well, there are two aspects to it. First of all, um, the Bellamy review said that the increase that it was recommending was a minimum and a starting point and not a figure to be negotiated over. Uh, that's a message the government doesn't seem to have picked up. And, of course, the figures were produced by uh, Sir Christopher Bellamy at a time when inflation was at an all-time low. We're now in a completely different ballpark, and it seems to us the government has to recognise the change in the economic climate. But can I also make this point? Um, when the courts closed because of COVID, the government, uh, the Ministry of Justice, said, £240 million in allocated legal aid fees budget. So that's money that had been budgeted for and therefore the taxpayer has paid it, but it remains unspent. And so the impact of that is pretty obvious. It means that even if Bellamy was implemented in full, it wouldn't actually cost the taxpayer a penny for over a year, probably for two years, because of the savings the government has already made. And I think that's quite an important statistic for the public to bear in mind, because it's not as if the government is going to be saying to the public, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to pay for these barristers to earn this extra money, because the savings have already been made. Strikes aside, what's your prescription for clearing this this, this really quite bad backlog in the, in the, the English legal system? Um, the, the government need to properly invest um, because the backlog was in existence before COVID ever arrived on these shores. The, the difficulty is the backlog has doubled. When courts were locked down, there was a backlog of about 30,000 cases. It's now nearly 60. And yet still, courts aren't sitting to their full capacity. And that's because over the years, there have not been new judges appointed, new recorders who are part-time judges. And so there simply isn't the manpower to clear the backlog, and with a diminishing profession, because people are leaving it, um, you can't run a system without people there to operate it for you. Simon, so I'm... Numbers, of course, at, at a, at, at a time, I, I appreciate the point you're making, but I'm, I'm conscious we're running out of time. At, at a time when there are so many demands on the public purse, yeah. why should, your, why should the, the money go towards your profession uh, over others when we're talking about rail workers or teachers or others striking? Uh, I think the short point is because over the last 20 years, their pay has kept pace of inflation. Ours hasn't. It hasn't increased at all. And that's the difference. Um, there's a lot of ground to be made up for legal aid barristers and solicitors. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.